Hey guys, welcome to the One Delightful Podcast. Where we believe life should be simple. But awesome. I'm Katie. And I'm Philip. And we invite you to join us on a journey as we try to start a new business and grow our family. While trying to clear through the clutter of life to create space for what really matters. And trust us, if we can do it, anyone can do it. On today's show, we're going to check in with What's the Word? We're going to talk about side hustles and some of our favorite resources and just start a conversation about that. And we'll end, as always, with What Do You Recommend? This week's episode is sponsored by One Delightful Shop and our new hand-lettered teas. New hand-lettered teas? So we've been trying some new items in our shop, and our latest thing is our Choose Joy tea and our Let's Stay Home tea, which are super cute. There's limited stock available, and the link is in the show notes. Can I layer it with a cardigan? You totally could layer it with a cardigan. So, Philip, what's the word? Drumroll, please. My word this week is camping. Okay. We did it. We did it. Now it feels like an eternity ago, but we did do it. It really does feel like it. It's amazing how fast time goes in the fall. But guys, okay, so we, you know the nightmare debacle when, when we tried to purchase a camper. So instead of purchasing a camper, two weekends ago, we Airbnb'd a camper in Maine, and it was awesome. Yeah. I think that a camper is the key to me liking camping. Well, I think, and I didn't even think that you were going to like it in a camper, but I feel like it checked off the boxes that we wanted to check off. We got away for a weekend. Yep. We had very little tech. There was no Wi-Fi, but we did have cell phone service. Um, We had to live a lot more simply because you can only fit so much stuff in a camper. You didn't even download Netflix shows for us to watch. So we read at night instead of watching TV. And we played that train game. Oh, we played a board game. We played board games with our kids. We did hot chocolate. (laughs) We roasted hot dogs on a fire. We went on a hike as a family. I feel like we were like in a Norman Rockwell painting or something. But anyway, we did the camper thing. We found an Airstream that someone had on a very large piece of property that they owned in Maine. It was like 65 bucks a night, so it was almost cheaper than just camping with your own camper. And we had a really nice time as a family. It was great. And so, little did they know that we were airbnb our property whilst airbnb <laughs> their camper. We made money while having the vacation of a lifetime. And I think we should include that camper in the show notes just in case anybody local wants to check it out, which I think they're closing it up for the winter, but they are, but maybe in the spring, you too could stay in snow goose too. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Katie, what's your word this week? So my word for this week is mornings. Mornings. Yeah. So a few weeks ago we had a conversation about me just being on the struggle bus with mornings and wanting that to change. And I'm going to do a full rundown, actually, on IGTV. IGTV? Not to be confused with HGTV. What does that stand for, Igor? Well, Instagram, everybody's got their own stuff going, you know? Oh, Instagram. Right. I mean, because, you know, there's YouTube TV now, too, right? Oh, yeah, there's TV attached to everything. Yeah, all these places are trying to figure out. TV's making a comeback. What's the future going to look like? But... 
I, at least for right now, Instagram has this feature where you can watch videos. So I'm, it's kind of like a YouTube type feature, but I'm going to give you a rundown on how the mornings have been going. And I'd say overall, not, not too bad. Yeah. I think I mean, it's gotten a lot better for we've, you. We've had kind of an irregular schedule. So I kind of give myself some grace days on like the irregular days, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like Tuesday sense. night, we were really out late with the kids for the Young Life Banquet. And I wasn't going to get up early. No, oh. I mean, there's certain mornings you just have to say, right. I'm going to treat myself. Right. So you woke up at 1130. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so, but it's been, it's been going a lot better. Yes. So, so I've I guess done, check I've basically out. done the things we mentioned and I've been able to continue doing them. Cool. So check out IGTV soonish. Yes. It'll be, it'll be live when this is live. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So this week we thought it would be fun to talk about side hustles. Side hustle. Ooh, that sounds cool. I feel like I'm on Shark Tank. Um, well... Really calling them side hustles just has made me realize I don't hear the term side hustle that much anymore. And it made me wonder, is it still cool? Should we have looked it up on Urban Dictionary first to make sure it hasn't transitioned to sort of like a dirty word? I doubt it. So, no, we're fine. I don't, I'm not concerned about that. I don't know. But what what I mean by side hustle is because I didn't know how to catch all the term that side hustle kind of catches. I'm talking small businesses, a business maybe you're working on the side of your career or you're a mom and you have, you know, you run a small business on the side. Something where you're doing a little hustle to make a little extra dough. Right. But your side your hustle, peeps. your side hustle really could be your full-time hustle and this stuff would still apply to you. So if it wasn't a side hustle, it would be your main hustle. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, okay. So that just makes me want to keep talking about how it's so weird, how stuff like that becomes trendy and then like not trendy. You know what I mean? I do. Oh, the internet. Okay. So Philip and I both have a fairly entrepreneurial spirit and we kind of come from entrepreneur families. And so we both kind of, I keep saying kind of, we both have had small businesses of our own or mine at times has been my full-time business but I want Philip to start and share about his side hustle history yeah because I feel like we've transitioned a little bit because it used to be that I was more the side hustle person but now I feel right. like in our current iteration you you have sort of taken over the title of side hustle queen Sure. Not that I was ever a side hustle queen, but you know what I mean. Like whatever gender differentiated royalty you want to be called. So I've had two, I think, main side hustles that you're thinking of that you want me to talk about. I know, but now I'm wondering if there's others. But start with these two. So the first one that I did, my dad owned a uh, like a Jiffy Lube kind of place when I was in high school. And by the time I got into college, I was really tired of my fingernails being dirty all the time because when you work on cars, your fingernails get dirty. But I needed a way to pay for like a third of my college without taking out a bunch of student loans. So there was in Lynn Haven Mall in Virginia Beach, Virginia, 
an Abercrombie and Fritch, which I still can't You've say exactly say it right. correctly. It's Fitch. There was an Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> and in this store, it was one of a few stores in the country that sold damaged Abercrombie clothes. So I went in there and I thought, man, some of these clothes are not in that bad shape. It'd just be like a t-shirt that was on a form or something like that. So I started small, but eventually started going into Linhaven Mall and buying thousands of dollars worth of these damaged Abercrombie and Fitch clothes. And then I would I would mend them. So like fix buttons or, you know, clear, you know, make the um, shirt that got crumpled up, like not crumpled up anymore. And I'd sell them on eBay, mainly to people in Japan and Germany. And I made a lot of money. I drove a motorcycle back and forth from college with duffel bags attached to it with all these clothes that I would sell on eBay. But it was a little bit weird because some of my friends would walk into my room and they would see like hundreds of women's like jean skirts. Right. And I mean, they would be understandably confused by that. Yes. So I think that's probably my most illustrious side hustle. And then also well, after college. What was college, that business called? Oh, Selen's Easy. It was a play on the word eBay. That's right. Selen's Easy. I'm still on eBay. Yeah. That's still the account that Not I use. Not much happens on there, though. And then I think my the other side hustle you're thinking of is after college, as I was getting into working for Young Life, I also drove an ice cream truck for a summer. Yeah. But I stopped on moral because of moral reasons. Which is shocking to me. I'm, Entrepreneur <sighs> Philip. I feel like you, you think, and this goes back to the Enneagram, but Philip's a five if you know the Enneagram. Which, hit, which means his thing is like money. And so he's just really driven by money and saving money. But I couldn't, the ice cream truck, you wouldn't think this, but the ice cream truck was a bridge too far because the way you make money on driving an ice cream truck is by targeting low income apartment complexes and trailer parks. And you just feel dirty after a while, mm -hmm. taking like a lot of money from people that you're assuming probably can't afford to spend it. So anyway, big fan of the eBay business, not as big a fan of the ice cream truck, but those are my side hustles. And I guess you could consider Airbnb now. Yeah, my that's kind of our hustle. current side hustle. Yeah. So those are the side hustles that I've had. But again, Katie, I think you're the one that's really our side hustle expert now, because over the past seven years, eight years, 10 years, you've run now a few small businesses and have been pretty good at it. Thank you, sir. Um, so maybe you want to talk a little bit about your side hustles, and then we could get into resources for people that, you know, maybe have this kind of thing on their own or are interested in starting one. Okay. So my brief aversion, wait, not aversion, the brief <laughs> version of my story is... About nine years ago, Etsy was just starting, and I decided that I wanted to do something creative. I'd always liked doing creative things. And so with Etsy starting, I was like, I want to start a fun little side business. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I opened a Etsy shop with old vintage buttons. Um, there's a really cute store in Norfolk, Virginia called Country Boy is like a salvage shop. I forgot shop. about Country Boy. I love Country Boy. Oh, man. I feel like we probably got tetanus from being in that store. <laughs> I wonder if it's still open. If you're in Virginia Beach, could you let us know? Or Norfolk. But it was like an architectural salvage shop that was super booty, but that made it awesome. And so I found a jar of buttons there. And 
I decided to start making earrings from that and one delightful button was born, Mm. which was my little Etsy shop. I very quickly from Etsy kind of kept Etsy open, but I didn't want to be directing traffic, um, especially at like craft shows and stuff to Etsy. I wanted to direct them to my own website. So I opened my own website. I feel like we have a lot of history with different e-commerce websites as well. Cause That's I was on, true. I was on big cartel for a long time. So I did that and I was thinking, I really jumped in like feet first with a lot of stuff. I'm a little bit impulsive. So I signed up for, I started this in the fall. I think I sold a pair of earrings for like three fifty for the first one. And I'd spend so much time on it. Do you remember that? I do. Because it was just so exciting. Like, to start to sell to stuff. To make any sale whatsoever, yeah. even if it didn't actually make money. Hashtag dopamine. Okay, <laughs> so I started this little business. I started doing craft shows, which is something I never thought I would do. Um, and then I started to work with um, boutiques and stuff like that, doing wholesale with those items. I So that's basically what I was doing with that. Um, then... And that was going well. And I, I would say I learned a lot from that that we might get into in a future episode because looking back at how social marketing has changed in the last nine years is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So from that, I that was going well, but I saw this thing called LuLaRoe, which you may have heard of. It's a direct sales company, but it had a little bit more of a... you felt like you owned the business a little bit more because you actually purchased the clothing wholesale from them and sold it yourself. So you could kind of create your own flavor and it was super hot at the time. It was so hot. Stuff like, um, I would say like a monkey could have sold it at the time that I signed up for it. Not saying anything bad about monkeys. (laughs) Nothing wrong with monkeys. Because honestly, if a monkey could sell something... I actually said, said that I think that says something really good about that monkey. I signed up for LuLaRoe in the fall of 2013, maybe. 13, maybe. No, okay, it doesn't matter. But there were maybe like 5,000 consultants and the company exploded. And there's a piece of me that doesn't like doing what everybody else is doing. So that was just a struggle for me. I feel like I was pretty successful with the LuLaRoe stuff. I was one of the top sellers in the country. And I would attribute some of that to getting in early, working my butt off. And having had a lot of experience running a boutique yourself that you could transfer over to what you did. Yeah. So I did that for three years. Yeah, something like that. And last spring, I kind of got the itch to leave that, which was hard because I had really built a customer base of faithful customers that loved the product, but I think also had started to care about us in the midst of it and kind of decided to pivot, which I feel like is a hot topic in small business stuff. But I, I basically took what I had learned from LuLaRoe and the customers that I had built relationships with and tried to root them to the new stuff that I was doing. So that's become one delightful shop. I basically, um, brought back a lot of the stuff I was previously doing with my Etsy shop, which I had totally lost all time to do once LuLaRoe kind of kicked into high gear. So when I quit, one Delightful Button, that was our initial shop name. 
I had had the best December I'd ever had. Mm -hmm. So in some ways it's kind of sad for me to think, (laughs) you know, that we gave that up. But so this is like three years ago. I stopped doing that. I moved on to LuLaRoe and then I, in One Delightful Shop, which is our current shop, I've brought back a lot of the jewelry and accessories that I previously carried and then added some clothing as well. So, and I'm back on an e-commerce site. And I think that over the course of all those transitions, so now in some ways we're sort of back to where you started, but we're not in the same place as when you started One Delightful Button, in part because we're depending more on this business for income. Right. Um, But in part too, because I think we've grown in terms of what we want to see in terms of results from businesses that we have. Right. Because when I was doing the One Delightful Button in its first iteration, I was, I think our hope was that I'd bring home $300 right, a month, which would have been, which was amazing when it started to happen. Yeah. So, and we, we, that was our goal, but at the same time I was saving a lot of money because we used that money to pay for down payments on our houses as mm-hmm. well. So we're going to run through a few tips and resources that we are loving now that have helped us through many seasons of running a small business and currently are super helpful to us. So the first one that came to my mind is the idea of, do you want a business or do you want a hobby? That's right. So a hobby, this is like made so much sense to me once I really like broke down what these two things were because a lot of times people just enjoy selling something they're making right or like with LuLaRoe or another direct sales company you might love the product and you're okay with the fact that you are sharing the products you love with people and you're paying for you to have some of these products and I think at first with one delightful button for you just the it's like what you said just the fact that you can make something and another person wanted to purchase it Right. Just blew our minds. Right. And because I liked doing creative things, it was very like satisfying to think, oh, I had fun making this and it's fun to get to sell it. And it's okay if I'm like barely like breaking even on it. But now we've transitioned, you know, to where what we've decided is we need this to be a business that produces income and not just a hobby. And so... Maybe at first when it was just exciting to sell something and somebody want to buy it, now it's important that if you're going to take the time to be creative and create something and then to sell it, it needs to be something that's going to make sense in terms of being worth your time and energy to make. Right. So if you are either considering starting a business or you have one and you're kind of figuring out what do you want it to look like, what do you want to do with it? I would say, answer that question for yourself. Do you want to be making money with this business? If so, how much ideally do you want to be making? And are you okay with it just being a hobby? Yeah. I mean, I feel like even what I, this is one of the things that I remember that brought this into stark relief for us. Um, 
Do you remember you had that subscription box or something that? Oh gosh! It was so exciting because the happy mommy box, right? That doesn't even exist anymore. Wanted to carry your earrings in the box, but because they were going to buy so many, they wanted a deep wholesale rate. And the idea was they were going to promote my product, and I was going to get my product in thousands of women's hands. So it was in theory, worth it for me to sell them at like at cost, basically. So we had oh a gosh. month period where we had to make like a thousand it, of your earrings. It wasn't like a thousand. It was it a thousand. It was a thousand. And it was really hard. Right. And I don't think we made any money no. off of it, nor did the subscription service really pan out into new customers. And I think that's one of the things that made us realize, wow, this isn't just about getting people to like buy the stuff. We need to be able to make a certain amount of profit to make it worth our while to do it because your time and your Mm -hmm. creativity is worth something. Right. But I would say my only argument to that is you don't know what thing, like putting yourself out there in some way, what that is going to, like what's the chain reaction for that? You know, cause so in th- like, I, I can't say like, oh, that was totally a waste of time. It was definitely a learning experience, but in theory, you know, if they existed for longer <laughs> than they did, it could have put my name, you know, in front of other subscription boxes. It could have put my name in front of magazines, et cetera. So I think that there's always like a chain reaction of, you don't know, or sometimes you know, you find out like, oh, I did this and it resulted in this. And I think at first maybe you have to do a little bit more, a few more things like that until you get your name out there, some brand recognition, figure right. out what your stuff is actually worth. Right. But if we were to do it over right. again today, we wouldn't make that deal right? Um, because it wasn't worthwhile. And right. I do think there's a piece of it where when you start out, and you decide, I'm going to run a business and not a hobby, that means you're putting a value on your time and your Mm -hmm. energy and saying, if I'm going to do this, it needs to be worth this much to people, or I need to think about something else to do. Right. But I did listen to a podcast years ago. It's called Elise Gets Crafty. I'm not sure if she's still um, doing that or not. I'll check on that. But she had said that when you're starting out a business, especially, you may have to say yes to more things then you kind of have the luxury to say no to later. And so I think we felt like at the time that was something that it was worth the hard work of the yes. And you don't know if it's going to really pan out, which brings us to our next thing, which is be an entrepreneur. So if you're on the, I want a business, not a hobby track, then you need to be an entrepreneur. When we think of an entrepreneur, I think of someone that is able to think for themselves. That's, okay with taking risks, brainstorming, being creative. Because if you're an entrepreneur, like that definition said, you're taking on, did it say risk, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so you are doing something different than other people are doing. And I just think that that's kind of like the bread and butter of running a small business. And that could be some, a small business direct sales, you know, it could, that I'm not saying like, oh, you need to open an Etsy shop type thing, but it could be a small business like that, but thinking creatively all the time about how you're running your business and trying new things. Yeah. And I feel like to be an entrepreneur too, there's 
probably an element of needing to be a self-starter right. that's connected with it because if you don't decide to do something, it won't get done when you're running your own business. Whereas working a more standard job, there's accountability built in. Like if you don't do your job, you'll get fired. When you're an entrepreneur, if you don't do your job, just nothing gets done. Right. And I think, so for us, Philip, I think is a pretty big self-starter and I can be at times, but I also feel like I don't know if this is just the quality of females or myself, but I definitely get all like spaghetti head where it's like, you know, you know that idea like women are spaghetti, men are meatloaf or something like that. I have never heard that before and I think it might be sexist. Well, it probably is, but it's like the idea of like, my thoughts are just like spilling off the edge of the plate. Like, you know, where you're just more like straightforward where, so as far as that applies to what we're talking about with being a self-starter is sometimes I feel like I can be a self-starter, but I definitely need Philip's voice in my life to like help me set what are my goals. And then Philip will actually kind of keep track of what I'm doing that day. Like sometimes I'm like, leave me alone. Don't ask me what I'm doing (laughs) because I'm doing things and I don't feel like explaining them to you. But some days it's hard for me to narrow in on what should I do today. And so I'll run over my list of things with him. Like I need to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And he's like, okay, well, why don't you narrow it down to these three things and these tasks? And that helps me to kind of clarify. And if you don't have a spouse or partner or friend like that in your life, I mean, there's lots of options. I've never paid for any kind of accountability group as far as business stuff, but it's definitely not a bad idea and could be a great investment in your business. Yeah. And I, I think too, we've also found that podcasts yes. help us be accountable, uh, not because they're like individually checking up on us, but just hearing other people either give ideas or talk about their successes or failures yes. can definitely be like a motivational in an accountability you know, kind of way in terms of driving business forward. Right. I had a friend recently recommend to me, it's the Jennifer Allwood or Hutwood. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But I randomly listened to a few of her episodes on Monday when I was feeling kind of blah. And it definitely gave me that like kick in the butt pants. I think you could say posterior. (laughs) That I needed. And... I think Philip has gotten used to him needing to be that person all the time for me. And that's tiring for him. So I think something that goes into that, though, that this is what that makes me think of is you need to sort of know yourself and what your gifts are, maybe what your weaknesses are to know what kind of accountability you need, because the way the reason we work well together and don't sometimes, (laughs) too, is you're the creative mind. Yes. Like Katie is very good at curating spaces or styles that give people like a picture of what their home, what their clothing, what their life could be like. But inherent in being more of a creative type, it means that that like to-do list, getting stuff done, just powering through is a lot harder for you. I might be a hundred percent right brain. <laughs> for me, I'm not nearly as creative 
Um, but and I, I gravitate in business more toward what's the bottom line? Are we going to make money off this? What's the most efficient use of our time? How could we get it done quicker? So from Katie, I need accountability for things like customer service, treating yeah. people well, um, so that they'll continue to shop from us and not just trying to squeeze you know every dollar out of a price or mm-hmm. transaction that we can. You need more accountability for me in terms of the getting stuff done, you know, right. kind of thing. How do you harness that creativity into something that results in a tangible idea? So or that you product? can continue to do it too. And I feel know? like that's another really important distinction. So there is a piece of it where you need to decide with your side hustle is this a business or is this a hobby? Mm-hmm. And that can be a really hard thing to decide. And for some people, a hobby is not a bad thing. But if you want to make money, you need to think about it from a business mindset and from that entrepreneurial mindset. And I think another thing that you need to think about maybe as you're starting or continuing, maybe you've had a side hustle for a while um, and you're not just 100% sure why you can't get to the next level or take the next step. And maybe that has something to do with what kind of accountability do you need based off what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are? Because you always want to lean into your strength, but not let your weaknesses be something that get in your way. So if you don't have a spouse or like a mastermind group or something like that, that's holding you accountable, um, maybe that's like a key that could help you out with that. Yeah. And I think that kind of leads us to one of our next points, which is relationships. And I feel like it's like, I think that we knew relationships were really important mostly because Philip has worked for a ministry that is relationship driven, that really values relationships. Right. And I, and so I feel like young life has valued relationships and been like, this is the most important thing for a long time. And I'm not saying nobody else knew that, (laughs) but I do think I hear a lot of times now that people really value relationships and maybe it's because we're so disconnected now because of people just connecting through social media and not through real interactions, you know, that people are like, oh, people are looking for a real connection or even like kind of a real fake connection because they're online, you know, but they're still craving that real connection that they feel with a face-to-face interaction with a person. So it's like, why are people going to buy something from you? Hopefully it's because you have a good product. You're offering something that solves a problem Mm -hmm. for them, but there's probably a piece of it too, where they might buy from you because you're you. Right. Um, So does... Are you projecting yourself, whether it's Mm -hmm. through your social media presence or it's on your website or whatever it is, are you projecting yourself enough so that people know that the thing that you're selling is coming from you and they know they can trust you um, and they want to buy, you know, from you? Right. Yeah. Um, So that also was something that came up in this podcast I listened to, which was like, even at craft shows, people enjoy some people, not everybody, but some people enjoy meeting the person, um, that actually made the item. And then also online figuring a balance of sharing your real self. And I feel like that one is a little bit 
tricky because I definitely think there's a element of being real online, but like also putting your best self forward. Yeah. And I feel like it's a mix of trying to figure out how to do that. I definitely think tangibly Instagram posts, photos are more for a curated, like people are coming to see pretty pictures, but stories are more for sharing real life type stuff. So we actually had even more points to talk about, but we're going to wrap it up now. And our last one is saying no to the comparison trap, because I think social media is important with building your business and can be a great tool, especially if you're running an online business and it ties back to the building relationships with customers, but it's totally a black hole of depression, comparison, (laughs) anxiety, copying even other people's stuff rather than coming up with your own and is not a good use of your time. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'm preaching to myself, basically. And I think we all are because one on social media, especially with business stuff, you're getting people's best picture of what they're doing. And it's not generally accurate with what's really going on. Right. So there's, you see a person who takes a picture of 3000 packages that they're taking to the post office. Right. And you think, Oh, I'm only taking one package to the post office. I must be terrible at that. And one, you don't know, is that a picture that is real or is it like a fabrication? And most of the time it's a fabrication. Right. And then the other piece of it, too, is we're all on different stages of our journey, right? Mm -hmm. Where when you started out, if you had compared yourself to people who had been in business for seven years, Mm -hmm. it would have been really debilitating all the time because you can't expect starting out to be at the same place someone seven years in is going to be. So you got to sort of know where you are in your journey and be okay with that, too. Maybe use people that are a little further ahead as inspiration or a sounding board, but you can't let it be something that is going to be debilitating, right. make you depressed, and all that all the time that leads to inaction, and that doesn't take you to the place you want to be. Right, and I think so. I would say if there's accounts like that that you feel like you need to follow to connect with this person or learn what they're doing, like you have permission to unfollow because it's not helping you ultimately. But I also think that it that ties back into the relationship piece with if you are on social media for your business, what kind of thing are you projecting? And are you going to be the kind of person that's making people feel like crap about themselves? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's I a mean, good question. I mean, that sounds bad. Yeah. But I do you, you know what I mean, though? Because I was like... reason, people probably connect with the hard stuff that you're going right. through a lot more than they do if you just project that you're super successful right. and have it all together. Yes. The tooting your own horn stuff or what, what, what's the word for it? A humble brag. That's also not something you hear much anymore. <laughs> Which makes you, me think we must be so successful because we're so clearly a train wreck. <laughs> right. So, but that kind of stuff that you see it and you're like, that doesn't make me feel good about myself. So don't post that kind of stuff yourself. Think about how what you're posting and how somebody's going to perceive it because they're going to want to follow you because of that. 
So that really was just scratching the surface, don't you think, Philip? I do. So if you want to hear more about this stuff, we thought it was super fun to have this conversation and we feel like we just kind of started the conversation. If you have an email about, excuse me, if you have a question about small business and you want to send us an email at wondelightfulshop at gmail.com, we'd love to talk about some specific questions you might have. I also posted something on Instagram. And so if you want to DM me there as well. We'd love to address some specific questions. Or if you're like, no, please just keep talking about your camper, then, you know, we can do that too. Although I don't really know what we're going to say because we sold it. That, right. that story sort of ended. Right. <laughs> There's something else we could talk about. And now it's time for What Do You Recommend? where we talk about things in the world that we are loving lately. And we thought that this week we'd talk about some of our favorite business podcasts. So, Philip, what do you recommend? Well, I think that I can think of three podcasts that I think help, like we talked about, hold me accountable Mm -hmm. to wanting to be better as I'm thinking about the businesses, side hustles that we're trying to run. I've talked about two of them already. One is How I Built This. It's an NPR podcast where this guy named Guy Raz interviews people that have started really successful companies and Mm -hmm. talks about what it was like as they were getting going and going through major problems that they had. A second podcast that I've also talked about is one called Startup um, that chronicles um, a guy as he's starting his own podcast company, which is very interesting. And then a more practical podcast that I think has been really helpful for us as we've thought about business stuff um, is hosted by a woman named Amy Porterfield, and it's called Online Marketing Made Easy, where she just goes through a lot of stuff about how to do online marketing well and gives a lot of really practical tips for free on her podcast. Yeah, some of those are overlaps with ones that I also like, but I'll mention the Gold Digger podcast with Jenna Kutcher. And with these, we kind of both, I think, I might do this more than you, but I'll see if the title is something that's interesting to me currently and kind of decide if I'm going to listen based the on The title that. of the episode, you yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah me. I'm more, more like if I subscribe, yeah, I'm committed to listening listener. to it. Yeah. Okay, so, and I'll also mention the one that I had mentioned earlier in this podcast. It's the Jennifer Allwood Show, and that's a newer one for me. But she, she had some good just like... Um, raw, raw stuff that I needed to hear, which sounds weird, but well, you can a lot of times get hung up on all the tangibles that you need to do, but sometimes you literally know what you need to do and you just need somebody to say like, go do it, sister. And that's what she does. That's going to do it for this week's episode of One Delightful Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we would love if you would give it a five-star rating and even leave us a review, or you could share it with a friend that might love this podcast too. And if you want to support us even further, you can use our link, which is in the show notes, along with all kinds of other helpful stuff that we talked about during the show. And using the link for your Amazon purchases supports our podcast. Yes. And we're going to highlight one of our favorite items right now. And my favorite item, Philip, is actually an item that I recommended that somebody purchased on Amazon, which is these super cute socks that our daughter Carter 
that I got are, you know, you like oh, the, the socks. Oh, the cat socks. Yeah, they're like knee socks and they were like $9 for a set of five. Oh, that's a lot of cuteness for nine bucks. I know. And I, you know what? I gave her two of the pairs and then I put more to put in her stocking. So if you're looking for a cute, easy gift idea and whoever it was that bought those, thank you for supporting our show. <laughs> <laughs>